My guest this week is Richard A. Taylor, founder of Taylor House Publishing. His books include Blue Light in My Review, Brushes with Death, The Blood of Jesus, Son of a Preacher Man, Wrongfully Accused, Rightfully Acquitted. So Richard's extraordinary testimony details how he overcame drug abuse, alcoholism, and a criminal lifestyle. Richard details in his book, Brushes with Death, The Blood of Jesus, how his life was nearly cut short in 2008 when he was shot three times while holding his three-month-old daughter. He says that ex that experience caused him to begin to make changes in his life. During our interview, we will talk about how he changed his life. Three months after enrolling in college and completing his first book, Richard found himself again in a Norfolk City jail accused of rape, kidnapping, and abduction of a female acquaintance. The, the details of that incident are discussed in Taylor's second novel, Wrongfully Accused, Wrongfully Acquitted. After a five-month stay and a week-long trial, Richard was found not guilty of all charges. Then, just three months later, he was diagnosed with two brain aneurysms, and needed emergency brain surgery. After a five hour long procedure and 10 days of recovery, Taylor walked out of the hospital with no side effects. After the publication of a second novel in 2015, Taylor found his own publishing company, Taylor House Publishing. Currently he helps people from the prison system and the church publish their works. He uses experience and knowledge to produce books for four different, well, so far for four different authors. Taylor House's Taylor House Publishing focuses on true, inspirational, self-help works that are sure to motivate people to use their hardships as motivation for success. Welcome. I'm glad you're here. Hey, great, 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 great to be here. I thank you so much for having me. I really it's, yeah, I'm glad. Well, you know, one thing that um, I think is so amazing is how we, we met. You know, I was, you know, at, at Norfolk. Uh, actually, I was um, there to um, in Virginia Beach to see Lavelle, who was performing at the Funny Bone in uh, in Virginia Beach. So I was I figured I'd do some shopping that morning. <laughs> so I was there sitting on the bench and you walked up to me and said, hey, you know, um, I don't know how you worded it, but it was just something about your about you know your author and did I wouldn't mind looking at your book or buying your book. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and it's funny you say Lavelle. That's one of my favorite comedians as well. And I didn't know he was there or mm. I was into the show, but uh, yeah, I definitely. Uh, that's that's something I do go out to public places, uh, mainly to marketplaces, malls, shopping centers. Uh, department stores and you know meet and greet people and tell them about my works and mm -hmm. uh, I was fortunate enough to meet you that day and uh, as like so many other people you were fortunate and kind enough uh, to purchase my book so mm -hmm. uh, that's how I go about marketing my works and uh, you know getting my word and uh, about my business and uh, my speaking and publishing uh, services out there. 
Yeah, man. I mean, I, I see. I, I told you when you said you was an author, and and um, what I consider buying one of your books. I'm like, I'm an author too. <laughs> I, I, I was showing you my book and all that, and um, and but I was just amazed because I was like, you had the yeah, he had all four books with him, you know, all four titles, and these are not, you know, these are books that, you know, I have my I think 200 pages and. And, you know, he's, you know, I, I'm and I, you know, I'm not, it, it's good to have a, a, a book, but I mean, I'm like, these books are pretty thick, but you know, it just shows that, you know, the intensity that he has and it shows the dedication that he has as well, you know, because, um, I think that anybody who you, you got to believe in your, in yourself, you know, when you say, Hey, I have a good product. I have something out here that I think people need to read. I'm going to get on the ground and make sure it happens so i was i'm deeply impressed with it i'm like hey you gotta come on my podcast we gotta talk <laughs> you like yeah and I, you probably like okay right 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 but i was like i'm dead serious yeah. you know because a lot of people say things like that hey i'm gonna get in touch with you maybe come speak here come speak there and some people do but you know more often than not lately you know people you know I mean, and, and I understand because people are busy, people have obligations, so they make it home and mm -hmm. you know, forget yeah. about that. So, but I thank mm -hmm. you so much for keeping your word and allowing me once again to come on your platform mm -hmm. and uh, highlight my experiences. Yeah, well, I, when I meet somebody who, you know, has their stuff together like that and inspires me, then. I, and people do forget, I, I, and I know that I do forget. So I like, I, I, let me get my my your card now. Let me get you information right now, so I don't forget. Let me get a picture of your card, all of that. And I took a picture of your your title, um, of one of your books, and I think it was the one that was um, was wrongfully accused and rightfully acquitted. And I took a picture of it and I loaded it onto to Google. Um, as one of the, you know, I guess when in Google, when you're at a location, you can say, Hey, this is the location I am. And that book got, I believe over 1500, uh, views, you know, when I put that onto, into Google. Um, so people out there are looking for you. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so yeah, man. So you definitely, I think have, a, um, your company, your, publishing company definitely has a bright future because you're writing the kind of books that people definitely want to read and it's definitely because of the where we're at right now in terms of um, law enforcement and um, how our prison system need reform I think definitely your story needs to be heard so I definitely want to get into um you know, get, I guess, right into it, you know, right into how did you end up in prison, you know, and before you talk about that, you know, what was the path sort of that led you to that place? Because I always believe that, that our environment and sort of the experiences are very key to sort of the, the path that sort of guides our life. Well, you know, I started off in the small town of Goldsboro, North Carolina. I'm from Rocky Mountain, not too far from Goldsboro. Okay, okay. So, you know, you know the environment uh, that is in uh, North Carolina, the Bible Belt, as you mm. as 
the Goldsboro has, you know, about 450 churches in a small town, <laughs> 40,000 people. So, you know, I grew up in the church. My father, you know, was a minister who's, you know, now become a pastor, uh, was in one of those holiness churches where you're, you own church, you in church Tuesday night, Thursday mm-hmm. night, Saturday, Sunday morning and Sunday night. So I had the prototypical, uh, you know, good childhood as, you know, two parent home, two older sisters, uh, got provided for my, you know, my parents weren't out in the streets and everything. So I came up pretty good. I, I excelled in school. I was always one of the top in my class of, of scholastic abilities and sports as well. And, um, you know, I, I excelled, uh, I would say until about the age of 12 or 13. Mm. And it was then when I started reading, books outside of school and it it it, it showed me different uh, perspectives of history of, of knowledge of, of what i was being taught in school and so i began to see that everything that i was being taught in school wasn't the complete story oh, wow. that coupled with you know uh coming up in the early 90s uh 12 13 years old I was also uh, influenced by a lot of media. And by media, I mean, you know, movies, uh, mm-hmm. music, uh, even news media. You know, they, they back then, they, the, the thing that was hitting, you know, the black community most was, you know, crack cocaine, drugs, marijuana, drug mm-hmm. dealing, banging and things. So you had movies such as, you know, New Jack City, Boys in the Hood, Minnesota, yeah. they kind of glorified you know, or, or romanticize mm-hmm. uh, lifestyle. You had music, you know, NWA, Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, uh, Jay-Z. Uh, the list can go on and on about Oh, yeah. Man, I, remember, I remember the, the late 80s and early 90s. I remember all those, uh, you know, Boys in the Hood and all those movies. Yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was, you know, it was, it was, uh, I, I, for me, I think I felt it was, it was um it made you feel like wow i'm i'm am i missing something or am i not getting something or yeah and, and and it made me because i was so uh quote unquote sheltered you know had strict rules couldn't go to the movies couldn't go to the skating ring couldn't go to high school dances and things like that because of the church rules that you know when i finally began to hang around peers who could do those things, you know, mm-hmm. in 13, 14, uh, you know, peers who may have not had the family structure could go out, smoke, could could be home by themselves. And, you know, the parents might have liquor in the house and would be drinking their liquor and stuff. So that kind of said, wow, you know, that kind of enticed me, you know, mm-hmm. and when I put all the onus on myself because I made those personal decisions of, you know, knowing right from wrong, but choosing to do wrong. Uh, with, so you were, you were rebellious, basically. Yeah, yeah. I started rebelling, uh, you know, uh, of course, uh, against, you know, the, the, the house rules, but also against uh, societal rules, school school rules when I when, when I really felt uh, that, you know, I wasn't begin you know, I wasn't getting the whole story. Okay. So, you know, I began, you know, smoking and drinking at 12 or 13. I uh, was still playing sports, but I, I think around the age of 15 or 16, I stopped playing sports and, you know, wanted to hang out with older people who are already deeply entrenched 
in that criminal lifestyle and, mm-hmm. and kind of earn and, and you know I wanted to be you know like the cool guys with you know with all the money with all the chains mm-hmm. you know the girls like the bad guys you know what I'm saying? Uh, so, yeah you know, I wanted to be one of those and you know before I knew it I actually was somebody you know that I wasn't but mm-hmm. I really if that makes sense. So. Yeah, it makes perfect sense, you know. And so, you know, because, you know, your father was it wasn't involved in life. Now, I think I saw another. Well, I know I saw another uh, uh, podcast that you were on. Um, I think he was interviewing a young man and you were talking about fathers that are in the home and and, and have a you have that presence in, in the in the household. And I think. And I was raised in the church too. I was, you know, born, you know, raised in, a, in that Pentecostal, you know, deliverance, Church of God deliverance sort of, uh, you know, um, thing. And and what I did see in that was there were people who sort of followed it, which you know, I wanted to just follow what, you know, this is what we're going to do. And then there were people who were very rebellious because, like you said, like, wait a second, you know, Something's not adding up here. I'm looking at you telling me I have to wear this. I had, you know, I couldn't even have a back in the day. It was like it was a high top fade back in the yeah. day. Yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't have that. You know, had to have it. You know, cut pretty close. Um, yeah. My sister couldn't wear, couldn't wear, you know, pants in church. She couldn't wear makeup. And my sister and mother would fight for like over over chapstick, <laughs> over yeah. you know, over lipstick and things like that. It's like you, you couldn't have any of those things. I couldn't even wear name brand clothes. It was it was all a sin. You know. Yeah. And, and so I could see that some people rebelled against that because when you cut the TV on, there's is there's it's like, wait a second, you know, you're telling me this, but I'm looking at everything around me saying that, you know, saying that everyone I'm missing out. I'm missing out on on all these things, you know, and you want to be included. You want to fit in and, and being raised in the Pentecostal church. You ain't gonna fit in. You're not gonna fit in. They're telling you the world is bad. You know, everything like you said, everything was a sin. Movies, uh, they used to call it dancing music. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> rap army, all of those things. You know, kind of alienated. You know, uh, you know us from, you know, our peers who mm-hmm. to do. It. And in in hindsight, though, I definitely understand. You know, the mm-hmm. things trying to protect us of like those yeah. like yeah. that. I'm thankful. I'm thankful for it now. Now I, I'm appreciative of it now. Yeah. So, you know, I, I give my mother and father credit all the time. That's where, you know, my, my third book, Son of a Preacher Man, came from because it once again it highlights those qualities, those attributes, those morals and values that my father taught me that even though I strayed away for a time period, those values and things always stayed with me and caused me to succeed even when I didn't do everything right. But now, you know, now that I, that I'm on a different path, I, I, I just, I value it even more because I realized that those things kept me through those hard periods, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I just, I just wish they would have not put that, that sinful sort of view on it, you know? I think that would have been better if they would have made it like you know, make us understand that, you know, we're trying. I know I, I got they were trying to protect me, but I wish it would have been more about being protected than sort of these things going to cause you to go to hell or something like that. Like, you know, <laughs> you know, I just wish it had been framed better. I think I would have understood 
better if it would have been framed in a different way, you know? Actually go through those same things today with my 13 year old daughter who wants to, you know, wear certain clothes and, you know, uh, you know, wear, wear, wear hair a certain way. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I, and I, and I actually caught myself being, you know, like my friend, yeah. I'm, I've taught her well enough to know that, okay, well, if she wants to do these things, you know, and not, you know, not, you know, going out smoking or drinking or, you know, hanging out. No, just little things that I don't personally agree with, mm-hmm. but it's actually no, no harm to her at the present, but I just want her to understand, okay, well, yeah, this, this is what these clothes mean, like that emblem on your shirt, you know, mm. you know, that's what that means, you know, like mm. you, a skull and bone on your shirt, that's representing death. I right. just want you to know, you know, right. like, you know, the little nuances like that, but I, I, I had to catch myself and, you know, I didn't want to tell her not to do certain things that she didn't understand with, 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 without being too overbearing. Right. And just keep a close watch on her. So, you know, mm. I I'm thankful for those things, but I, you know, like you said, I do think things were a little presented the wrong way or a little mm-hmm. bit overbearing where, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it kind of, it makes you want to rebel. It makes you want to like, wait a second, this ain't cool. This ain't it, you know? <laughs> so, Everybody, you know, the one that YK not, that was right, one. exactly. And you, sort of, fine, you know, but then I, then once again, I see, you know, the results of a lot of my peers who didn't have that guidance, you know, doing long stretches in jail, you know, mm-hmm. dead or whatever, or, you know, haven't been productive in society. And I say, okay, I see what they were trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, you know, being raised as a preacher kid um, and, you know, having to live up to a certain standard that, you know, I think it's kind of unreasonable for 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 a kid, especially not being explained well why you're doing it. And then that's causing you to be rebellious. And then, you know, you're becoming the very thing that, you know, you are sort of, you know, inspiring, emulating. And then that's leading you into bad experiences where now you are, you know, characterized as a criminal. So what was that experience like? saying, oh, oh, you know, I'm a good kid and oh snap, you know, it's, 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 it's you know, life is sort of turned upside down now. Yeah. Um, my, my first, you know, I, I began to, in hindsight, realize, uh, you know, when coming up from school, coming up in school, uh, you know, I always heard this, this statistics, well, you know, one out of every four black men will go to jail. I don't know. Wow. Well, one out of every three black men won't make it to 21. And all of those statistics, you know, that you hear daily, um, they 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 kind of say, okay, well, that's my future. You know, yeah, you just accept it. Yeah, and, and actually I began to, you know, and, and a lot of my peers, I think, began to say, okay, well, if that's what's expected of me, that's what I'm going to do. And, you know, um, it, it, it just became sort of what you think or what you what what you what what you attract. That's what you want to attract. So I never remember I was 18 years old uh, working at a uh, restaurant and I was coming home one night and I got stopped by the police. Uh, this was the days before cell phone. I stopped by the police soaking wet. I was a dishwasher at Texas State House. Uh, the lady female officer followed me for, uh, you know, like two miles and 
So when I finally turned, because I had already turned past my, I mean, I already drove past my house because I don't know why, but, you know, once the police got, we are taught, you know, once the police are getting behind you, you know, the police are bad people, you know, um, and so, so she ended up stopping me. Uh, she pulled me out of the car, checked my license. Everything was clean. Uh, she wanted to, she wanted to DWI test me, uh, and I'm. She's looking at my clothes. I'm soaking wet with little food particles on my my shoes from washing dishes. I'm telling her, I just, you know, I just got off work, you know. So I do all the tests, uh, pass those tests. Then you know, she calls for backup. And, wow. Mind you, this is 12 o'clock at night before cell phones. So this is before cell phones. Um, she 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 calls back up. She goes back there, talks to him. So she said, okay, we want to search your car. I'm like, why do you want to search my car for? You know, I don't want you. To, I want to go home. Look, I'm, I'm tired. I got school in the morning. I literally had school in the morning. Mm-hmm. No, we're gonna, we're gonna search your car. So one, they went tore up the car. Um, and you know they went search. Of course, they didn't find anything. And so then after that, they they went back and started talking again. So mind you, it's like 45 minutes now. And me as a teenager, I get restless. No, I want to go. I want to go. Like, and this is in Goldsboro? Yeah, Goldsboro, North Carolina. Okay. And at that point, you know, I got I got a little out irate. No, let me go. No, I don't want to talk no more. Give me my let me go. I'm, I'm no, calm down, calm down. No, let me go. And then, you know, next thing you know, it's it's a tussle that starts. They want to, you know want to put me in handcuffs like well no what did i do you know you're resisting arrest and what am i being resisting arrest for so long story short i ran i ran around you know i ran the guy um they finally i ran into somebody's yard they followed me into the yard when they came around the corner i was just standing by the side of the house i tried to run again i was amazed uh the officer jumped on me and you know i was arrested charged with you know I resisted arrest, uh, assault on a uh, official, all of those things. So all this is trying to get home from work, yeah, get you know, and, and and your whole life is now turned upside down because yeah. somebody. Paper, go ahead. Uh, my name was in the paper, in the local paper. You know, of course, I, I, I missed school because I had to get bailed out of jail. And, you know, I, I, I told the story to my parents. We actually wrote a letter to the newspaper and all of those things complaining. But, of course, when I went to court, I had to plead guilty. And, you know, because that was my first time in trouble, court-appointed lawyer. I mean, we, we actually bought a lawyer. The lawyer, of course, works with the local DAs. Yeah. So he said, we'll just go ahead and plead. They're going to drop this, that, and the other. So I was given probation. But, you know, I think that, that incident there just left a sour sour taste in my mouth and then once again okay well now i'm really solidified as a criminal right because you know what i mean so i, I went to court I, and so now that that kind of you know gave me that attitude of being an outlaw forget the law because mm-hmm. you, know? mm-hmm. you figure it don't work i mean if you're you're doing what you're supposed to do and even if you're doing everything you're supposed to do and you're still treated like a criminal then you feel like well what's the point in you know doing the right thing Yes, and that and that's the attitude. Unfortunately, I've took well, or maybe fortunately because I had all these experiences and are, and are able to relate. You know, my experience as a younger man on how to deal with certain areas, the path to take. But uh, yeah, that 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 led me into a a greater mind state of rebellion. Yeah, I mean, I I I, I can relate to that. You know, because I'm a I grew up in the '90s as well. And, you know, all those images that you just described, 
I saw as well, you know, I experienced as well. Um, and uh, what was so, I think, so disheartening was to see a lot of, you know, my, you know, African-American brothers and peers, uh, you know, sort of kind of, you know, saw that as a badge, you know, like, hey, you know, selling drugs would probably have been a good thing. But when you have society and you have the images, like you said, on television and movies telling you that this is what you, it means to be an African-American male, you buy into it. And so I thought that was disheartening because they were buying into it. So, so when all this is sort of happening to you, where, you know, you know, now you got a record earning you built, you know, so, you know, when that happens, you know, anytime you get pulled over or anything happens, they're going to see this on your record. So they already have, you know, you know, we already have this sort of idea about who the African-American male is, you know, a hothead, you know, all those things come along with that. And then you got the the record to to also sort of stamp that to your name. And so now, you know, and then you got to now you got to distrust for the police because you had a, a, a actual interaction and an experience saying that it doesn't matter what I do. I'm going to, you know, have to deal with, you know, getting locked up, going to prison, because uh, uh, going to jail and getting arrested. No matter if I if I um, uh, accommodate them or not, and, and I actually I moved away from from Goldsboro to Virginia to get away from trouble. Right. I I think I I had did a year for my third DWI uh, within with between the age of eighteen to twenty one. I got three DWIs, I think, and so mm -hmm. they sent me there for a year. I also got a hit and run. I uh, had so many various charges that, you know, I actually had two robbery charges, which were eventually dropped because, you know, someone had lied on me and I was at the scene of, of, of a uh, attempted robbery that went wrong. So uh, I was I was acquitted of that as well. And but just, you know, possession of marijuana, disorderly conduct, uh, carrying a concealed weapon. Uh, without being registered. So all of those things from the age of 18 to 23, uh, I, I was in a lot of trouble, but I only had to end up doing about seven months for that entire, all of those charges. And, you know, I mean, so, so with all that being said, I mean, all that, cause it's not, I believe in you know, the life has a, a spiritual scheme to it. Right. And you've been a preacher's kid. It definitely, you know, God, I always give the hardest lessons to the best students. Right. Yeah. <laughs> And what I'm what I'm hearing from a spiritual perspective is that God is saying to you, Spirit is saying, uh, you know, you you, you got to wake up here. You know something, you know, yeah. you need to wake up. You know, because it's like when you start you describing what you just you know what you were just describing about you know being you know people accusing you of things and being acquitted and being accused and being acquitted and this is happening over and over and over again. It's like God is saying, you know, open up your eyes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Now uh, you know there's a there's a scripture that says also, he who knows the way and mm -hmm. does not do it shall be beaten with many strikes. Oh yeah. Yeah. Now, add my 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 feel of those strikes. And uh and that's when I once again I, I began to wake up and, and that's when I moved to Virginia. Uh, because and, and 
I, at the, the incident, like, you know, right before I moved, I was, I was at a quote unquote, we call them liquor houses out here. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Shot house. <laughs> yeah. So we were there and, you know, everybody was in there and a shootout erupted in inside and then everybody ran outside and people were still shooting and I just heard the bullets. Mm. Like I'm ducking behind the car, but I can literally hear like, you know, and I'm like, I got to get out of here. Like, what am I doing? You know? So like, I think it was that next weekend, my God brother, Terrence Thornton, uh, I'll never forget, you know, he was home for uh, the holidays. He stayed in Virginia beach. He, he was one. He was actually the man that that you saw me interviewing uh, with the father. Uh, Okay. He was the one that did he he did he got in a little trouble, but he went off to college, he graduated from college, uh, and went on to, you know, uh go to straight and narrow. So I told him my situation. I said, Man, I, I have to get out of here. Uh mm-hmm. was he was like, All right, come on. And it was just that simple. I, I I think I had like a clothes, I had a I had a, a trash bag full of clothes, and I think my, my mother gave me fifty dollars and my father gave me fifty dollars. Mm-hmm. Virginia Beach, uh, and he actually he he kind of woke me up too. He was like, "Rick, you know, you got to do something different. Like this is not you. You know, I'm, I'm gonna give you a month to stay here for free, but after that, I'm gonna, I'm gonna need three hundred a month for the rent. And you know, this is you know this bill is due here. This and so that actually you know taught me, and I, and I and I always command the day you actually taught me the responsibility of being a man. So within two weeks, I had two jobs. Because mm. I'm so excited of of getting out of Goldsboro, and and at the time I thought Virginia Beach was a big city because I mean as much oh, yeah compared to Goldsboro, yes, yeah. yeah. So I mean I'm seeing all the the big buildings and the bright lights and the beach, and I'm like, yes. And so I I, I did I did I did well I would say for about six or seven months. You know I, mm. I did. I didn't smoke. I didn't do anything. And um, I started to meet people. And I, I never forget, I was working at Ticketmaster. And Ticketmaster, it was like a big call center. Well, people, you know, like, you know, a thousand employees. So I began to meet and interact with people. And, you know, I realized that everybody smoked weed on break and everybody partied. So my mind, once again, and, and that, that once again goes to the mindset where, you really, you know, you can take a person out of that environment, but mm-hmm. the environment still stays within them. So I, I, I told myself, I was like, well, since everybody smokes weed and I see that they're paying way too much for, for, for you know, from what I would tell it for, I mm-hmm. said, I'm going to, I'm going to find me somebody with, with the, you know, with, with a large quantity of weed and I'm going to buy some weed to start selling, selling it to my coworkers. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and that's what I started to do. And, you know, before long, I was like, I'm not going to work anymore. I'm making so much money off selling weed. I don't need a job now. Mm-hmm. And that, once again, led to me becoming the hustler or, you know, the, the drug dealer that I always wanted to be in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. I was realizing that in Virginia, because once again, nobody knew me. I didn't have to worry about anybody telling me, nobody. And, you know, most of them, you know, were my age, young kids, even high school, college kids were smoking. And then I actually moved on to a harder drug, which, which was cocaine, mm. uh, which I, once again, I, I met people in the drug circle. And then 
one one of my customers one time say, hey, man, do you, do you have any coke? And I was like, well, I did just meet another guy who told me he sold coke. So, and once again, that I got into that, that foray. And, you know, that lasted about five years until that incident that you mentioned happened uh, mm-hmm. with me shot and robbed by an acquaintance uh, while holding my daughter. And and, and, and and as you said, now that was the real eye-opening experience because once again, I was able to walk out of that hospital uh, two days later with, with minimal in- injuries, but the way, the way that, you know, the bullets went in and, and the way that, you know, the doctors were looking at me, it was like, I don't understand, you know, I don't wow. Or you're not so so that was to you that was like god saying this is your last chance if you don't get it this time if you don't get the lesson this time then did you feel that i actually felt it when i was in the room i was in a hotel room and the gun was i was like this is this is it this is it but then i you know i felt i felt still a covering so you know i felt i felt i felt i felt death I, I literally okay, that I'm gonna die. Like this mm. is it. But then you know, as the boy, as the gun was going off, I still felt some sort of covering. And so that really, like after that instance, I actually moved back to North Carolina. Started going right to my father's church, really, you know, faithfully. Mm-hmm. Uh, I started praying, reading my Bible because yeah, like that's that's really that was really the scary part. Like okay, God really saved from that instance. Yeah, I mean, you don't get no clearer than that one. I mean, yeah. when the bullet starts the passing by you and not hitting you, or, well, in this case, something did hit you, but it didn't it didn't kill you. Yeah, but then I heard a voice, like I said, I heard another voice said, no, write your story. Mm. And so I immediately got up and went and sat on my mother had a computer in, in, a, in, her, in her office room, and I sat right up the, right at the computer and started started right from that instance. You know, I, I started right. I started from the end and wrote the book and you know in reverse to how I got to that point in life. But that was a therapy for me because I had to. I, I wrote the book. It's a factual novel, but I wrote in the third person with mm-hmm. me being character. So as I'm writing the book, I'm able to look at my life from the outside in mm. and really realize. Okay, wow. That's where I made that mistake. Mm-hmm. That did that, you know. What? Okay, that's that's what led me to this, you know. So I I was able to analyze my life and really see the mistakes and the, the mistakes that I made, and also the the several chances I've got, and and that began to you know give me a a, a, a new fervor and, mm-hmm. and, and allow me to place a, a higher value uh, on my life. 2011, because I, I moved back in 2009. 2011, I I tell myself I I'm working around here. I got a little video job. I said no, I'm going back to Virginia Beach, Virginia, and I'm going to pick up where I left off. Mm. I, I I called a guy from Goldsboro and bought a certain amount of cocaine. I saved up some money, so I bought a certain amount of cocaine. July 4th, never forget it. I took my car and drove up to Virginia on the way there. I'm calling all of my old customers back. And it's funny because they were just so happy to hear, oh, yeah, you're back. (laughs) (laughs) 
you know, and that's that's how the devil. I mean, that's how yeah. it works. Man. He, he has welcome back. Up. He has it all set up for you. Turns out that I have a warrant in Virginia mm-hmm. Beach for leaving the state of Virginia while on probation or wow. something. And so I end up right back in jail with no bond, and they actually found the cocaine that was in my pocket as well. Wow. So in, in the Virginia Beach jail, first day I get back, you know, first I took my daughter to the beach that day and everything. First day I get back, she's three years old. And I stayed in, I stayed in jail for six months until, you know, they, 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 they gave me time served, but they also extended my probation for another eight years. But one thing stuck with me that time, when you know my I, I was talking to my daughter and her mother you know and she would actually bring my daughter to see my daughter's three at the time so i'm thinking well she doesn't really understand but then then one day about like two months before i was released my my daughter asked me said daddy are you getting out of the jail today mm. and that just broke my heart you know mm. that and that's when i really said okay i am i am really going to do right Upon upon being released, that's when I enrolled in Tidewater Community College in Norfolk, Virginia, uh, full-time student. And when I wasn't in class, I started back working on my book, which I published three months later in February. Uh, and uh, it was, you know, it, it, it was it was a it was a great experience, you know, to to, to come that full circle. Mm-hmm. But once again, I still had that 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 habit because, like, even when I was really deep in deeply entrenched, I always had that 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 feeling. Okay, no matter what situation I'm in, it's not going to end tragically. Mm-hmm. And you know, by that, you know, I would I be I would run with some guys from Virginia Beach, and I would be. So I tell them, I tell them, hey, I just came back from such and such in Portsmouth. It was like, what? You were in Portsmouth in mm-hmm. that neighborhood without a gun? Mm-hmm. Like, like, yeah, like you know, I, mm-hmm. you know, but you know, I always carried that 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 lackadaisical attitude because maybe in the back of my mind, I knew, okay, God was protecting me, but He also, once again, send those warnings, but also He lets you know, yeah, okay, well, yeah, I'm, I can take my hand off of you. Oh yeah over to the reprobate as they call it reprobate mind and i think when he he gave me over to the drug addiction uh that that i that i faced because once again as after i published the book and, and soon after that you know i i i still was going out you know telling people this telling people that but at night i would be you know with with a bottle of liquor and, and a bag of cocaine and then i wake up in the morning and do it again. But, you know, I would, it was like, he was, he was like, okay, if that's what you want to do, I'm going to stick you right here in this room until you get tired mm. of And, and actually, you know, that, that, I think those, those years from about, you know, I think 2000, 2015 to 2018, like those were probably some of the worst years of my life, but nobody would ever do it because whatever I did that day, at nighttime, I was in 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 I was I was I was I was trapped. I was I was in bondage 
to alcohol and drugs. So mm-hmm. that's that's where you know I think that uh you know he 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 allowed me to suffer the most, and and, mm. and, and that's why people ask me why do I go, why do I you know go out every day, why don't you take the time to do this do this. I'm like, okay, I've had enough fun, you know what I'm saying? And I've wasted enough time. Mm-hmm. So that's why I want to help others who are suffering with addictions, with criminal criminal activities, with health problems. Mm-hmm. Because as you mentioned, I did have uh, that brain aneurysm after yeah. being accused at, at after I published my first book, which was um, and, and the, the wrongfully accused, rightfully acquitted situation was with a young lady who I knew from before who came to, you know, who I met at the school that I was going to, that I had just published the book. I had just did a speaking engagement at the school. They had my name on the marquee and we developed a relationship. And in that relationship it was kind of tumultuous. Um, and, and once again, I take responsibility because at that point in time, I played on her vulnerability as having just been broke up with a boyfriend and, you know, de- wanting someone to be there with her. And I told her I was going to do certain things that I had no intention of doing as far as like being with her and, you know, being a father to her children and things like that. And I, you know, I actually, once again, I think, you know, and, and, and the situation is in the book, but I can just tell you one night we had an argument and, you know, I, I said some things that, that were really horrible, had her crying. But then I apologized and I laid down and went to sleep. And mm-hmm. when I woke up, she had texted her friend and said, call the police. Richard Taylor has raped, kidnapped me and yeah. me all night. Now I'm in the bed sleep and I get wakened, awakened by four police officers taken to jail uh, without a word, held in the cell for eight hours until finally they interrogated me. And they asked me what happened. I told them, you know, the whole story about, you know, we, we had sex, we argued and, you know, this and that. And then I went to sleep and, you know, the officer asked me, was the sex consensual? Mm-hmm. And he asked me that. I was like, no, this is not what's happened, you know? And so, and I was like, yeah, of course. And, you know, he was like, well, that's not what she says. And so they took me to the magistrate office and, you know, swat all the warrants and I, and I, and I went to jail. But once again, that was a way, even though I did not do it, but that was a way of God once again, sitting me down. But, you know, fortunately, once again, the, the evidence, the phone records, the DNA records all proved that, you know, her story was false and I was acquitted on all charges. Mm-hmm. Thank I, God. Yeah. Uh, five months, five and a half months later, but, once again, the stress of the trial, and I don't know if it's the stress of the trial or also got in a fight in there with this big guy who, you know, had done 20 years. And, mm. you know, I don't know what made me, you know, uh, not run from this guy, but, you know, I, I banged my head on the on the steel bar. So I don't know if the angerisms came from that or the stress of the trial because I had a headache all the way through the trial. But, you know, like you said, three months after being acquitted, I went to the hospital and was told that I had two brain aneurysms and the doctor said, I don't know how you made it here because mm. one of them has already busted. You wow. know, we don't have time to race. Like, you know, you, you have to sign this paper saying if you are vegetable, you know, you want to be resuscitated. If all that's happened to you and you have your life still 
and you are still here in your right mind, your life is for a greater purpose. I mean, it's no longer about you any longer. You know, I think you got that, that it's no longer about you. It's about what do I, if God has kept me on this planet, despite all these things, then there is some greater purpose that I'm here for. It's no longer about me any longer. It's about this reason that God has, has allowed me to continue to be here. Yes. And that's what I, that's why I am once again, just so driven um, to go out every day and tell, you know, the, the good news, the gospel and, and my testimony of how, you know, God saved me from these things. And also uh, he can save anybody. He, he can save mm. you, whatever, whatever you're going through. And, and, and I was never at a point that I, I would feel, I would, I would think that I'll be sitting here today and not smoking, not doing alcohol, not doing cocaine. I didn't think I would ever be at this point because I had been doing it since 12 or 13. So um, it's, it's definitely uh, an, an, a, a revelation, as you said, like my, my is no longer mine. I, I use everything that I've experienced to help somebody else who may be going through or, or who has lost hope. As one time I did, I lost hope. Okay, whatever. I'm just going to get high and, you know, um, get high in this room till I die. Like even after the brain surgery, after, after, after a, a five hour brain surgery and 10, 10, 10 out, 10 days in the hospital. The first thing that I did when I got back to Goldsboro, North Carolina, right out of the hospital, the, the same day I drove back to North Carolina with, with, with my parents was got up with an old friend and we went to get cocaine. Mm. Now that now do like people don't understand addiction. But yeah. if if you don't understand it, they're like, okay, I just had a brain chair. Like, I still have staples in my head. I still have, you know, $2,500 medicine that they had to give me because I couldn't afford it. $2,500 medicine and all these medicines I got to take at an hourly basis. And I'm out doing cocaine. So that... But, that, but I'm saying that, that, I mean, the depth... I mean, I hope you know it, what I'm hearing is is that there's the, that's the depth of somebody's pain. That's the depth of your pain. Yeah, you somebody know. that right now though. You know. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, I mean that's it. That's my pain, and and, and to go back and, and to go back and 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 look for that. You, you just had a stroke, you know, and. You know, you explain to the nurse that I've had an aneurysm, and. Soon as you get out from you know the hospital or you're released, you go back looking for that 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 uh that bottle of that bottle but bag of, of cocaine, you know, there's something where you got to really look at that and say what is going on here. Did you stop and at what point did you stop and say you know that question has to to come up? I mean, for you to be talking to me now in your right mind, obviously. Yeah. You had to look at that and go, what is going on with me? Long story short, in 2019, uh, I, I I was slated to get off probation in November. So that same probation officer said, hey, look, man, um, I got to send this paperwork in. This paperwork in to Virginia Beach because, you know, he's slated to get off. So I got to send all the paperwork. When he sent the paperwork in, he called me back. He was like, hey, man. 
um, you know, it's out of my hands, they're going to violate you mm-hmm. because of all of the drug tests that you failed. So in about May, you know, they came to my house and they arrested me, took me to jail. And I stayed in jail for, for two months without a bond. And I, I fasted and prayed. But one thing happened this time in jail that I began to look at all the older gentlemen, mm-hmm. you know, 50, 60, some 65, some coming there in wheelchairs, you know, some having mm-hmm. to take medicine and stuff like that. I'm like, if I don't stop now, you know, I'm, that's what I'm looking for. This is what I have, have to look for. And then I started to reflect on my life and, and realize that every time that I got in trouble, you no know, drugs or alcohol was involved. And so before I, before I came in, uh, before I went in, there was people fundraising at a Walmart and it was called Life Changers Outreach Ministry. And the guy, he had, they was asking for donations at the door. Mm-hmm. He handed me a flyer and he told me his testimony about the program and it's free. And, you know, for years, my mother had been asking me, don't, don't you think you need some help? Mm-hmm. No, I'm, I'm all right. Because, and, and, and that, I think that was my problem too, because I never hit what they call rock bottom. Okay. You know, I was never sleeping out of a car. I was, you know, I always dressed nice. I like, if I didn't tell anybody, like I just told somebody, you know, that knew me all my life that, yeah, he was coming. You did what? Like, because nobody knew. Like I wore that mask. I wore a mm-hmm. green mask. And so finally I was tired, tired of wearing that mask. But I thought about that program when I was laying in jail. I told my mother about the program. I asked her to call the program. What's the what's the entry? How do I get into it? And you know, they sent me the paperwork. I filled out the paperwork, sent it back. They sent me an acceptance letter. Now, my initial purpose was to show that letter to the judge because my, my, my court appointed lawyer said they was going to give me two years. Mm-hmm. And I was all right. I was like, two years? I haven't been in trouble. I just have a drug problem. Well, when you make it the drug program, but that's still you're going to have to spend a year in jail. And so what I was like, I said, well, maybe I can take this letter to the judge. And when I showed the letter, just the letter, hey, look, this is a year long program. I've already been accepted. I'm planning on going this if you let me out. Mm-hmm. Now, I prayed and fasted that, that that God would do three things for me on my court date, which was October the 7th. And I prayed that he would let me out of jail that day, that he would release me from probation and he would show uh, be favored with the judge. Mm-hmm. So the court, I had already agreed to the, you know, to a one year sentence uh, verbally, you know, they came with a plea bargain. So I was like, well, you know, I know what I prayed to ask God for, but it was, she was like, you know, they, they're not going to give you, you know, uh, the, the best you're going to get is this year or you, or you can, you know, go and get two years. So I said, okay, give me the year and then I'll be all probation. So, but I got into the courtroom and my father and my mother were there. My, my mother wrote a letter. And, 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 and so what is your father? I mean, all this is happening to you and your mother and father who are, you know, are, are, you know, elders in the church. How are they dealing with this? I mean, what did they I mean? How, how did they coping with, with, with this going on with you for these many years? Um, at first it was, it was, I guess, shock. You mm-hmm. know, it was, it was like, okay, what are you doing? Like, once again, the small town of Goldsboro, I think at 16 or 17, I started hanging out in the drug areas and, and standing on the street corner. So sometimes when I would get home, my parents would say, oh, brother so-and-so saw you standing on the 
you know, corner. But mm-hmm. so so they kind of, you know, I kind of brushed it off. And at that age, you know, I was I was too old for beatings. So it really wasn't nothing, you know, that was going to deter me from it. You know, of course they were hurt. They, they, they would, you know, ask me what I was doing. But, you know, at certain times, like, like I said, with, with me getting shot at 18, I also got shot at 18 when I went to college. So I think the, the, the magnitude of the situations that I was in, like being arrested for robbery, that, that took it to a whole nother level as, okay, really concerned for my son. Like, I don't want him to go to jail for, for, you know, 20 years or mm. he got shot. I don't want him to die. Whatever he does is fine. You know, as long as he doesn't die, of course, you know, it was, you know, mean fine, but you know, it, it became of, okay, are you all right? You okay? You know, instead of don't be doing this, don't be doing that. And of course, a lot so, of So they, they gave it over to God. It was like, he's going to give you, yeah, turn you over to God. And and, and and that's what they did, you know, prayers, especially, you know, you know, the came, you know, I got cards every time I was, I was in jail, you know, a couple of visits here and there, because a lot of times I was in Virginia. So I mean, they couldn't come, you know, regularly, but, you know, I got letters of encouragement. I got scriptures all day and, you know, I, I, I applied them for standing by, um, never giving up on me, uh, to this day. Mm-hmm. And, but I, but, but I, you know, I, I know a lot of times that, it, 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 you know, I saw it in their faces, mm-hmm. you know, that, what is wrong with my son? Well, so in your faces was it disappointment? Was it uh, disgust? What, I mean, what, what, when you look at that faces, what you know, you're, you're going in and out of prison, in and out of prison, going through these situations, and 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 you got to look at your 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 mom and dad in the face. I mean, what 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 is it that you that you are seeing on their faces? I, once again, I saw frustration. Okay. I I, I never thought I. I I, I, I don't think I never saw disgust. Um, maybe a hint of shame here and there, but, mm. but most, most of behind all of that, though, I really, in hindsight, I really see love. I saw mm. love. You know, they, they never stopped loving me, no matter what. Uh, mm. you know, they never I, gave up on you. Yeah, they never gave up on me. And and just, and, and, and this, this is, this is how, it came full circle because the letter that my father wrote, my mother wrote, was talking about. Okay, my so this is so we're back in 2019. 2019. 2019. Okay. Violation hearing. So I'm in front of the judge, and you know I've already you know well y'all have an agreement. The judge said. She said yes, and the judge looked though he looked at my file and was like, wait a minute, why is he facing two years? He hasn't been in trouble. But then the prosecutor said, well. In 2014, he was charged with rape, kidnapping, abduction, and such and such. And the judge said, well, he wasn't convicted of any of this. He mm. said, I know, judge, but just because he was charged, that moves his points up. And the judge looked and said, well, that's unconstitutional. Right. He shouldn't have to pay for something he didn't do. And that was the first time I actually saw God answer my prayers, which was turning the judge's heart in my favor. Mm. And the, it went on, and he he made a comment. He said, "Well, I know if it was up to me, I would I wouldn't give you two years in jail. Shoot, I wouldn't give you a year." And he said that, and I was like, "Okay." And then he said, "Well, matter matter of fact, never mind. Y'all already have an agreement, right?" And I was like, "I told my lawyer, I said, no, 
I'm not going to agree to the year. I want to put it in the judge's hands. Mm-hmm. So my lawyer and the DA, they, 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 you know, they got frustrated because, of course, that made that day longer because they yeah. had to present arguments now. So the, the DA presented his argument, and my lawyer read a letter. It was started out talking about my father. He was like, well, well, Roger Taylor, you know, he's a pastor. He served such and such in the Navy. She gave him a background, right? So the judge looked at me when he heard Navy, and he said, oh, yeah, you served in the Navy, sir? And I looked, I said, no. I said, he was talking about my father. So my father's mm-hmm. in the courtroom. So the judge starts addressing my father. Oh, you served in the Navy, huh? Oh, yeah, I did too. Where, where, where did you? And so they start talking like old friends, right? Wow. So he starts reading the letter again. And he said, oh, from Goldsboro, North Carolina. From Goldsboro? I'm from Greenville. Wow. Went to Chapel Hill, but my mom mom still stays in Greenville. And so they'll start, and I'm looking at him like. What is happening here? (laughs) God is answering my prayer. So the judge looks at the paperwork. He looks at, you know, that's, that's, I mean, that's, and, and it stopped right there. After he's talked to my mother and father, he was like, look. I don't see any reason to keep you in jail. You know, it's obvious that you have some issues, mm-hmm. but you know, being in jail is not going to help you. So what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to uh, release you today on two years of good behavior. But what I'm also going to do, because in Virginia, when, whenever you're convicted of a violation, they start the whole probation sentence over again. Oh, so wow. I was supposed to get eight more years of probation. But he said, and I'm also... I'm going to take you off probation today. This thing, this thing has been going on for 10 years, and I don't think you, you know, need to be on probation. I think you need some help, but, you know, I'm not going to keep you in jail. Just, just get out and do right. And so that day I walked out of jail, and I thought about it. I said, God answered those three specific oh, oh, yeah. And so I said, okay, God. And I, and I still had the letter of acceptance. I said, okay. I'm going to go through this program for a year. And a month later, that's what I did. And I went to that program and it was the best, best decision of my life. Um, wow. uh, it was supposed to be a year program, but of course COVID hit in 2000, uh, March of 2000, really. And that's when I left the program. I moved back home to Goldsboro, North Carolina. I went right to work. Uh, on my third book, Son of a Preacher Man, I also got my substance abuse peer support specialist certification because mm. uh, of what I, you know, what I learned in the program, but also I wanted to stay sober. So I wanted to know all the techniques of how to stay sober, but I also wanted to help others stay sober. So I started teaching a peer support specialist class in uh, October of 2019, 2000. Was oh, 2020, and uh, I did that until July of this year uh, when my obligations for my books and everything became too much for me to teach the class. But I, I did that for 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 uh, nine months, and I published this book, which is the one the latest book, Blue Lights. Mm-hmm. You, I published that in, that in February, and ever since then, I've just been going out publishing. I'm working on about three other books for other people. Uh, getting letters from prison, getting, getting, you know, I've, I've spoken at some juvenile prison facilities already, uh, work with some uh, law enforcement training center, centers in Greenville by uh, 
it, it's called the de-escalation training where former inmates come in and, and talk to correctional officers and prison guards about inmate uh, humanity or, or inmate guard relations from a former inmate who is now, you know, a productive member of society. So mm-hmm. I've just been, been, you know, been doing, you know, of course, podcasts and I have a radio show called the U-Turn Show now uh, where I feature people like myself actually. U-Turn Show? Yeah, the U-Turn Show uh, 106.9 in Green, uh, Greenville. Um, it's also streamed live on Facebook, awesome radio, or Taylor House Publishing. Go to my yeah, site. we have to get the, the the links to that in the in the show description. Yeah. Say this brother right here, I know he's been through something. I know he has a testimony. So to me, that makes it even more more powerful. Certainly, thank you, man. Certainly, thank you, brother Lloyd. So how do we get in touch with you if we need to, to, so, you know, viewers and listeners out there listening to this conversation, very inspiring conversation. And I want to know, and they want to know how to reach out to you. How do they do just that? Well, you know, I'm a very direct, direct person. I don't have a lot of filters. So uh, the main, the main way, you know, directly is through uh, via phone. Uh, My contact is a 919-587- Seven seven eight two. Uh, that's directly uh, to my uh, cellular phone. But also, uh, once again, if if you do like the, the, the electronic measures, I do have a website www.taylorhousepublishing.com uh, where all of my services, all of my works, all of my books, all of uh, you know some of some of the things that I do are highlighted on those, my outreach to the community. Uh, so if you do want to go to the website and find out more about me, what I do in the community, uh, you can certainly go to the website, www.taylorhousepublishing.com, or you can email me at taylorpublishinghouse at gmail.com as well. Of course, you know, I'm on Facebook, Richard Taylor, uh, and Instagram, Rich True Life. Uh, all of those uh, platforms and avenues are way to reach me. But once again, I'm kind of old school. So, you know, I like mm. Rick. So uh, the best way is once again, 919-587-7782. And I'll leave those uh, links and also the phone number in the show description. And so that if you want to get a hold of him, you can definitely uh, do just that. Is there any other thing that you wanted to say for the close out? No, I just want to once again, thank you. I thank you for having me. Uh, on this show, on this platform. And I thank you uh, for the work that you are doing as well. Uh, and once again, inspiring, inspiring others and bringing, you know, information to the public. But I, I just certainly enjoyed this experience and uh, hopefully we make you do it again in the future. Oh, definitely will, man. I mean, I want to definitely keep on track of your journey. You know, I'm glad that we're now friends on Facebook and I, I want to definitely keep up with you. And I may have some customers that come your way who need to get their book written and, um, you know, and, and they need someone that they can trust that's going to, you know, who has that depth, you know, I think it's important. So, so yeah, I mean, I see good things happening from you. You have a testimony and to know that it ends on a good path. One thing that I say, I always, my prayer is this is going, it may not have been, you know, the best start, but it's going to end good. It's going to end real good. Yeah. So I see that happening for you. That it's going to be a good. Might have makes stuff a little bit rocky, you know, but it's going to have a good ending, you know. Yeah. 
So, uh, so that was the episode. I'm um, thank you for thank you for joining me, Richard, man. Uh, and I am looking forward to many more conversations with you as you grow your your brand, your company. Um, I, I see it all for you, man, because I see it in your eyes that you got it now. The light bulb has went off. I see it so bright in your eyes. Yeah. So. All right, man. All right. Thank you for joining the show this week and uh, join us next week again for uh, another great episode of What's Up with DJ.